This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday, the 14th of April, 2021. And so one of the big things that's been in the news this week, Norman, is about the vaccines, especially the AstraZeneca vaccine and its risk of blood clots. We heard yesterday that another person who'd been vaccinated with AstraZeneca has developed a blood clot so far, at least at the time we're recording, they're doing okay. But can we just take a bit of a step back and just remind ourselves why we're vaccinating ourselves against COVID and just what damage the disease can do, especially for people of of varying ages? Yes, there's been a paper published in the European Journal of Epidemiology, in fact, with an Australian researcher, looking at the data from around the world on fatalities, in other words, the infection fatality rate. Now, we've got to go back to last year to talk about this, because at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, it was one of the more, should I use the word popular, uh, common questions we used to get about what is indeed the fatality rate. If you remember rightly, Tegan, we were comparing it to seasonal influenza, saying it was six to ten times there, and and the fatality rate moved around a lot. And one reason it moved around a lot was um, that we were talking about the case fatality rate, which means the rate according to how many cases you had in a country. But, of course, the number of cases depended on your testing. So now they talk about infection fatality rate. If you're infected, what's your chances of dying of it? And there's a different way of calculating that. And they've brought together the infection fatality rates from around the world. And they show that your chances, the infection fatality rate of a 10-year-old is 0.002%. At age 25, is 0.01%. That goes up to 0.4% at age 55, 1.4%, 65, 4.6%, 75, and 15% at 85. So it's still not over the top in terms of you know 90% of people dying in a certain age group, but there's an exponential growth um, as you get older, and it particularly picks up after the age of 55. How does that compare to seasonal flu? Because that was the analogue that we were using last year. Well, it's very hard to compare those numbers to seasonal flu because seasonal flu has a kind of bimodal, I'm trying to find a simple word for bimodal, but essentially it's children and elderly people. It's that U-shaped curve, the young and then the very old. Yeah, and the people in the middle tend to have low, low mortality rates and low rates of getting sick. So it's really hard to average that out. Um, And what they haven't done in this is averaged it out, which is the right way to do it, because averages don't mean anything if you're 25 years old. And it doesn't talk about long COVID either. So essentially, the older you are, the higher your risk. And this this identifies that. But it's incredibly low risk of dying when you're very young. Right. And so this isn't telling us anything that we didn't really already suspect before. It confirms the shape of the curve that we knew was uh, to be the case before. But what does it mean for us now in terms of just cementing our policy? Well, it means that whilst we're waiting for more Pfizer doses for the under 50s, the people who need to be protected are indeed the over 50s. And uh, we should get on with it and we should get on with it with Astra. And as we said yesterday, there are 8.4 million people over 50. If we're producing a million doses of Astra a week, we could immunise everybody over 50 within a couple of months with the first dose, which would give very significant protection against severe illness. And the other interesting thing here, by the way, is that we're talking about booster doses with vaccines that have been designed for the new variants. It's quite likely that you can mix vaccines. So one possibility that could emerge during this year 
is that while you've had the first AstraDose, your second dose could be, say, Moderna with a vaccine that's designed for variants. And that could give you quite strong protection. The the British are looking at whether or not you can mix vaccines. And there is a lot of evidence around from other vaccines that mixing vaccines can give you quite effective immune responses. So it may well be that you've got a population of people who've had Astra and round about the fourth quarter of this year, the booster comes along. So instead of getting Astra for your second dose, you get Moderna or something like that. That's a really interesting point because that's something we've seen a lot of people asking about, not just via um, abc.net.au slash coronacast, but also on Twitter and elsewhere, is that they kind of feel like maybe they've got to keep their powder dry and not get any vaccine because they want to hold out for the good one. But what you're saying is the evidence is now showing that you don't have to wait. They are looking in Britain, they're doing a study of mixing the vaccine doses to see whether or not that that is effective in terms of producing an immune response. There's no reason to expect it wouldn't. So it's quite likely that that trial will be will have a positive result, which will mean that you could mix your doses and maybe you have Astra for your first dose, Pfizer for your second dose, and it could actually loosen up how you distribute vaccines and you actually get what's available at that time because you're not necessarily linked to getting the one that um, you had first time around. I mean, the advantage in Pfizer, if you get it first and second dose, is that you're done and dusted in three weeks. But let's say the bulk of Australians have had Astra, everybody over 50, it may well be that your second dose is with a what's called a multivalent vaccine, which is going to protect you against the variants. So at the moment, we are focusing mostly on vaccinating older Australians and then those frontline workers, like you say, and those people who are frontline workers or high-risk people who are eligible to be vaccinated now are now being told that they should prefer not to get Astra. Um, But if they can't access it, we talked a couple of days ago about the fact that you're not banned from using AstraZeneca if you're under 50 and want to be vaccinated, but you might have to sign an informed consent form. And we got lots of questions from people about that, asking what exactly you're signing away when you sign one of these forms. Everybody has got to sign an an informed consent form at the moment to have the vaccine. That's part of the preparation for having the immunisation. The Commonwealth is rewriting, if it's not already rewritten, the informed consent form to acknowledge that with Astra there is this rare risk of clots so that people understand what they're doing. Now, people say, well, does that mean I'm signing my life away? Now, you sign informed consent forms all the time if you're going in for an operation. So let's say you're going in for a hip replacement. You know, the surgeon provides you with an informed consent form which says, you know, you can get infection, you can, um, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong with this operation, you need to know them, they're rare, but, you know, they, it could occur. And people often say, well, what am I signing away here? There is a kind of rule in common law, which is that you do not sign away, if you like, bad behaviour or, or negligence, I suppose is the better way of saying it. So that if the surgeon is negligent in the operation, and does something which actually increases the risk of infection or damages the joint or damages the outcome and it's been an act of negligence, having signed the informed consent which says that you accept that infection is a risk does not exonerate the surgeon from negligence and you can still sue. So informed consent means you're going in with your eyes open, all things being equal and everybody doing their job well, You've got this small risk, are you prepared to take it or not? And you've got to decide that. But it doesn't mean that if a vaccine company, for example, had been criminal in its actions and done something terrible and had hidden all this and knew about it all along, that would not protect the vaccine company against litigation. 
by the way, there's no indication of that at all. And I don't believe, you know, I'm not trying to create a, <laughs> a paranoid view about this, but, but I'm just giving you as a, an example is that should that be the case, you could still take action. Now, then what arises is was what's called in some countries, no fault compensation, which New Zealand has, and I think America has for vaccines. And for vaccines that arose a few years ago, which was when vaccine manufacturers were being sued and there were really um, vexatious litigation with very little evidence behind it. You know, my child's autistic and they had the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine and I'm going to take you to court. And the vaccine companies were defending these cases. There, were, there was no fault in their case. They were winning the cases, but they couldn't afford it. I mean, it was costing them a fortune to run the cases. And they basically said, we're not going to be in the vaccine business anymore. We can't afford to be because of the spurious litigation. And in order to maintain the market and the vibrancy of the vaccine market, they created no-fault compensation or indemnification of, of the uh, manufacturers. And no-fault compensation means if you get a vaccine injury, there's no court case about who might be in a fault or whether there's negligence, you will get some compensation as a result. Do we have that in Australia? Well, the minister was talking about indemnification. So I think that what's happened is that the, is that the companies are indemnified against action. And it's not entirely clear what that means, but it probably means that if there's a successful case, the Commonwealth would pay out on their behalf, almost like an insurer. But I'm not sure exactly what's happened, but I think it's a bit, it would probably mean that there's a case which they've got to win, and then the Commonwealth pays the costs rather than being just, there's no court case and we just pay you regardless. So why is this topic coming up when we're talking about acquiring, say, the Moderna vaccine in Australia? Well, what's been reported is that Moderna and Janssen... Johnson and Johnson. Uh, which is, a, uh, yeah, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Um, I say Janssen because Janssen is the pharmaceutical division of Johnson and Johnson won't go into the Australian market because we don't have no-fault compensation. But the minister contradicted that yesterday by saying that they, we do indemnify the manufacturers. So I'm, um, I'm unclear as to what the barrier actually might be. And it may be that there's some onerous requirement on the part of these vaccine manufacturers, which is, which is not required by Astra or Pfizer, which I think is unlikely. And that part of that is sort of moot now because also it, uh, in terms of Johnson & Johnson, we now know that Australia has no plans to buy that vaccine. No, well, not, no plans now anyway, um, although it's quite close to being, to being for there being enough information to approve it because they put in an application uh, late last year, even though we didn't have a deal with them for approval. But it's likely, not definite, but it's likely that they've got a clotting problem as well because they're also a viral vector vaccine. The virus carries the genetic material into the cell, yet to be proven. So I think it's just prudent at the moment to say you're not going to buy Johnson & Johnson, even though it's a really effective vaccine and it's only one dose. So it's a, it's a blooming shame if that's the case because it really does give you coverage incredibly quickly. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's Coronacast. But as always, you can ask us a question by going to abc.net.au slash coronacast. And I look forward to all the lawyers who are listening who are going to pick me up on my law of tort. We'll see you tomorrow. See you then.